Hello, I'm Mary Osborne. I'm Kathy Shagrin. And I'm Stacia Matten. And we'd like to welcome you back for a second season of Prairie Tales, where each month we talk about this wonderful community we live in, Monmouth, Illinois. Mary, did you know that the city of Monmouth is the birthplace of fraternity Kappa Kappa Gamma? Well, yes, I did. Well, did you know that their mascot is an owl and the Florida is their symbol? Yes, I was aware. Did you know that the fraternity began as a desire by several local women in Monmouth to develop a women's fraternity for social development and now has 145 collegiate chapters? How do you know so much about Kappa Kappa Gamma? <laughs> well, well you know, I read it on the I read internet. It on the internet. Oh, moving on. Each month at Prairie Tales, we bring you a little slice of history from Monmouth's past with the help of local historians. Last year, we heard from many of you who listen, and we welcome your ideas for future programs. We also would like to recognize the Buchanan Center for the Arts, which sponsors our program as part of its mission to promote the arts in whatever form it takes in the Monmouth area. So, are we ready to begin? Absolutely. Well, get ready because it's season two of Prairie Tales. Hello, Prairie Tales fans. I'm back with part two and the conclusion of the McKinney trial. As expected, the jury found Mrs. McKinney guilty as charged. After all, even her own attorneys never contested that she had committed the alleged abuse. Rather, the verdict would determine the type and length of sentence she was to receive. According to Illinois law, the courts did not recognize the presence of insane persons. Furthermore, Section 284 of the Illinois Criminal Code states, a person that becomes a lunatic or insane after the commission of a crime or misdemeanor shall not be tried for the offense. And Section 35 says, a lunatic or insane person without lucid intervals shall not be found guilty of any crime or misdemeanor during the continuance of the insanity. If the jury found Mrs. McKinney to be sane while she was abusing Stella, but insane during the trial, she would be committed to a mental institution until she recovered. Afterwards, she would be convicted and sentenced. According to the press, she faced a five-year prison term or a fine of $500 or both for a crime of this magnitude. Conversely, if she was judged to be insane during the time when the alleged crimes took place and during the trial, she would be committed without having to serve a prison sentence later. Naturally, her attorneys worked to achieve the latter scenario. The prosecution argued that McKinney was not now, nor had ever been, insane. Rather, she suffered from a type of mania that could only be satisfied by cruelty to a person. Despite the importance of establishing Mrs. McKinney's sanity, the verdict failed to address this point. Therefore, Judge Graves permitted a retrial. While the details were pending, Mrs. McKinney returned to Kenilworth to await a new trial date. The situation dragged on into March of 1906. By then, the citizens of Alito pushed for a change of venue. Some taxpayers did not want to bear the additional costs associated with securing a new jury, estimated to run between $5,000 and $10,000. The defense was also concerned with finding impartial jurors. In April 1906, the trial was rescheduled for the Mercer County Circuit Court with Judge Guest presiding. However, the defense finally succeeded in petitioning for a change of venue. Attorney George Cook persuaded the judge with 417 affidavits attesting to the inability to hold an unbiased trial in Alito. The trial moved to Peoria County and began in May. It took 16 days to hear the evidence and 113 witnesses were called. 
On June 23rd, the jury delivered another verdict of guilty. It also determined that Mrs. McKinney had been insane during the trial, so Judge Guest committed Mary to Watertown State Hospital in Moline. Once recovered, she would serve a sentence of two years in prison. Watertown was established in 1895 as the Illinois Western Hospital for the Insane. It opened in May 1898 to 336 patients who were transferred from Jacksonville, Illinois. Later, the population grew to over 600. The hospital's design borrowed heavily from the Kirkbride model, and it operated as a self-contained entity. During the early 20th century, it added a carpentry shop, kitchen, bakery, and laundry. Patients had access to recreation in the form of a theater, pool tables, bowling alleys, and concerts and dances. The hospital continues to operate under the name East Moline Mental Health Center. Our tale does not end with Mary McKinney's committal to Watertown, however. Stella Grady, now 19, sued the McKinney's in civil court. The family settled the case out of court for $1,000. Stella used the money to attend a ladies' seminary in Aurora and then moved to Chicago to help her mother run a boarding house. Mary McKinney remained at Watertown, but in December 1906, a discovery jeopardized her placement there. The superintendent of the hospital, Dr. Taylor, demanded McKinney's removal after staff discovered that her husband had been making conjugal visits to her room. Dr. Taylor claimed that these visits proved that McKinney's plea of insanity had been a ruse all along. Mary McKinney remained at Watertown, perhaps due to the intervention of her brother-in-law, Congressman James McKinney. As a side note, had Dr. Taylor pursued his allegations, and if Mary McKinney's diagnosis remained unchanged, Archibald McKinney, her husband, would have faced prosecution for criminal assault. Watertown patients were not permitted conjugal visits. Nearly three years later, in November 1909, Mary McKinney was discharged from Watertown. Interestingly, the cruelty charges against her were null prost, basically meaning that they were dropped. Mary returned to Alito, where she lived out the rest of her life. Her husband, Archibald, died in 1922. Mary died in 1931 at the age of 69. After Mary was released from Watertown, the press lost interest in her, but I have wondered how the community treated her when she returned to Alito. Was she able to resume her life and activities, or did the events of the trial overshadow her for the rest of her life? This episode speaks to the limitations of research. I know of no extant correspondence or diary that would have given me insight into Mary's perspective on these events. Her voice is absent from this tale. Furthermore, I cannot address her illness or treatment at Watertown because her patient files have been permanently sealed, as is the case with all medical records from state hospitals. The whereabouts of records pertaining to the trial in Alito are more perplexing. When researching the story, I intended to find these records. I knew that they could be one of two places. Western Illinois University is the repository for these types of records for this region, or they could still be at the Mercer County Courthouse. The staff at Western determined that these records were not in their possession, so I contacted the Mercer County Courthouse. I spoke to the very helpful clerk who assured me that she would look for the documents. As it turns out, the files for this trial are missing. Have they simply been mislaid or misfiled, or did Congressman James McKinney use his influence to ensure their disappearance? Some tales will be incomplete, but the McKinney trial still has value. First, I want to offer some observations about the press. The trial was widely covered in this region and no doubt entertained eager readers. Scandal is spectacle. Reading these articles diverted the public's attention from their own troubles. 
Seeing a prominent family embroiled in a trial may have also excited some readers critical of the elite. What's also interesting is that the press largely left Stella Grady alone. Her age and status as an orphan protected her in this case. Attitudes towards orphans may have been changing as I discussed in part one of this episode. She appears to have made the best of her situation by continuing her education and learning useful skills. It's unclear how the trauma may have affected her and whether there were long-term consequences for her. What's disturbing is that there seems to have been no consequences for the part that Archibald McKinney played in these events. He wasn't prosecuted for allowing Stella's abuse to continue or for lying about it. Later, he faced no charges for interfering with his wife's treatment at Watertown. It appears as if his status within the community and his connections helped him to avoid taking responsibility for his actions. It may have also been more expedient to blame everything on his wife's condition. The trial was an episode that everyone, the McKinneys, Stella Grady, and the town of Alito, wished to put behind them. And that, friends, is where this tale ends. Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at prairietalespodcast at gmail.com. Remember, not all history is found in a book. Sometimes it's found in the stories we tell. Just listen to the sound of the prairie and you too might hear a tale.